As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Yeah, he, str- he struggled. I think once he'd, he'd broken that record for all the Beatles studio output and it went to his head a bit. He got complacent. He had nothing left to motivate him anymore. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined today by Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. It's transfer deadline day, the morning of... Um, so if we uh, put our foot in it about some prospective transfer that does or doesn't happen, you'll forgive us. Um, it's also the morning after the 1-1 draw at West Ham. And normally, regular listeners will know, uh, this, at this stage I throw uh, to my uh, co-presenters um, for some light, light-hearted um, question about what went on last night and all the rest of it. I'm going to change that today because I, because I want to. And I could talk about what happened at West Ham yesterday for three hours, but I'm not. I'm going to reduce it to two observations, which I'll throw to uh, Jack and Charlie in just a second. One of them is an objective truth about this Spurs team, and the other is a subjective feeling. The objective truth is that despite um, the amount of points they've accrued so far this season, um, they're not very good. Um, (laughs) uh, To me, they're not a very good football team just now. And the subjective feeling is that they're also just terrible to watch. I'm finding it a real strain. I'm not overreacting. I'm not saying Conti out or anything else, but I'm finding them a desperate, desperate watch. Um, I'm going to say it. They're out of form teams like Aston Villa are a worse watch, but we seem to have replaced Burnley as the team that are trying to achieve results by the, in the most tedious of ways. Those are my two points. I could have made 100. I've reduced it to two. Um, on the back of all that, uh, Charlie, we're lucky to get a point. Yeah, I don't think West Ham, you know, could be like, how did we not win that game? But I think on the balance mm-hmm. of it, they they had the better chances. And uh, if either team were going to win it, they had more of the chances to do it. That said, I thought in the last 10 minutes, they, they did tire a bit and the opportunity was there for Spurs, but they didn't really take it or look like going for it. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting because I was listening to you guys on the pod on Monday and I was... I kind of wanted to interject and say, as you know, at the moment, results are very good and they have been since the back end of last season, uh, which I think is still valid because a point at West Ham is not a bad result. And I think at the start of the season, Jack and I said 11 points was par and that's what they've got. 
you, the feeling I keep having with Spurs when I watch them is like, oh, well, who are they missing? You know, I'm thinking, are they, they, they feel like, it feels like you're watching a team where they're missing a key player and you're waiting for that key player to come back and sort of things will click into gear. But that isn't really the case. I mean, Basuma as well, I've been waiting for uh, because I have made clear a number of occasions. I think he's a fantastic player. And he was he was really disappointing yesterday, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, he's, you know, he's played, he's made one start. I still think he could be brilliant for Tottenham and he could be the kind of transformative player that of I'm course. imagining. But it, it does feel like some, there's a bit of a spark missing at the moment. You know, it's generally reasonably effective, but it is, uh, it's not the kind of exciting, thrilling attacking football we saw when they were overwhelming teams at the back end of last season. Jack, you know, two things there, but they're not a very good team and they're not very good to watch. And I think you can be, you can afford to be one of those things, but not both. Um, and that's at the moment is bothering me. What did you make of events at West Ham last night? Well, yeah, I mean, clearly they, they're not playing well. They've played well, what, the second half against Saints, maybe the second half against Wolves, if you're being generous. Yeah, out generous. Of, out of five yeah. games they've played so far. Um, they're really bad on the ball. You know, they there's some things they do well. They defend, I think generally they defend quite well, apart from this stupid goal they conceded yesterday. Terrible, uh, from yeah. Switching off from the quick throw. But generally speaking, they defend well. They counter-attack well. You know, they scored a good goal on the counter yesterday. Uh, when they've got that space to attack into, and e- even though Son isn't playing well, generally I think they, they do counter well. But when they have to, when they have the ball and they have to build up against a set opposition, which is basically the which was the circumstance of the game for most of yesterday, they're really bad at the moment. And Charlie said, you know, a second ago, they look like they're missing someone, and clearly they're missing Romero, who they are so dependent on to get things going from the back. But even if you put Romero back in the team, they don't have a good right wing right wing back. And they're playing a wing-back system where they've only got a, they've only got good players on the left rather than on the right. And even then, so like you know, so some of this will be solved when Romero gets fit. Maybe it'll get be solved if Basuma settles. Maybe it'll be solved if Longley comes into the team ahead of Ben Davis. You know, we big fans of Ben Davis here, but yeah. Longley's probably better on the ball than Davis is. Um, and I'm sure we'll see Longley pretty soon. So, I guess the big question really coming up is. To what extent are Tottenham's problems solvable by the introduction or integration of players who they've got, and to what extent are they unsolvable because they don't have the parts to because they don't have the parts to fix the machine? Well, my 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 answer to some of that, not all of it, of course, um, is that so few teams play an out and out two um, in the Premier League. You know, although lots of teams play four two three one on paper, they're really playing five in midfield, aren't they? Um, so few teams play a two in midfield. I, at the moment, can't see any combination of Bissouma, Skip, Benton Kerr and Hoiberg that's going to work because, partially because they have no creativity on uh, a right wing back. Now, I get it, Kulusevsky comes back and fills some of those holes. But what we were seeing yesterday, and there were extenuating circumstances, Hoiberg clearly got hurt and was messing about with his boot for half the game. He was still messing about when the goal was conceded. Bissouma, getting himself stupidly booked after 20 minutes, reduces effectiveness by 10%. Mm. In the Premier League, that's a huge amount. But it makes you wonder why Skip was on the bench and what Saar is actually still at the club for if they're not going to play him. 
But what we had like yesterday was Harry Kane. Now, we know Spurs play a deep block, but even when they were on the break, Kane was coming back and playing almost at times in between the two midfielders. It, it, it's too restrictive. Emerson Royal is a good athlete, and I'm sure it, with proper coaching he can improve. But let's be honest, he is inadequate for what Conte is trying to do at this moment. Um, he's got two other players on the books who might do a better job there, but for whatever reason, he's not picking them. And in a system utterly dependent on wide players for creativity, Spurs are just, it's clunky at the moment. And it, 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 I think they, you can't, can't argue your 11 points. That is the bottom line. But they're not going to continue to get those results with that kind of performance. They last minute lucky at Chelsea, lucky yesterday. I thought Forrest were a better team. So in the three away games, they might have come away with zero points. Of course, the, you know, the, the pragmatist in Conte will say, but we didn't shut up, fat boy. Um, <laughs> and I take that. I take it completely. But I've watched enough football to know that you cannot go on being lucky. It doesn't work. Um, am I wrong? Well, Is there any combination of those midfielders mm, that can work mm, in this system? It, it depends what you mean by work, because I think they... Mm. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a combo if you play that system. And we've talked about this a lot. Uh, you know, This is something I wrote about, this idea of... Can you be successful, uh, you know, without controlling the midfield and controlling the game? And I know you guys talked about it again yeah. uh, on Monday. And, 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 you know, that is kind of the million dollar question for Spurs right now because they're not controlling midfield. And but I think Basuma is someone who's good enough to play in a two and uh, offset some of that. But they are not, they're not conceding many goals. And, that, you know, that's been a really good sequence for quite a while now. You know, you go back. I get that. I think, I it, you know, something like three in the last eight of last season. And then the start of this season, uh, how many have they conceded? Three, no, four in five games. Even so, that you know, those are good numbers over a lengthy period of time. They restrict their opponents to very few chances. For those who care about these things, the expected goals of their opponents tends to be pretty low. So... In that sense, it is working. You know, they, they, they don't concede many goals. If you don't concede many goals, that's a really good platform to build on. And you hope that, you know, w with Basuma coming in, maybe there is a bit more thrust from midfield and you've got this incredible front three uh, that, you know, as much as that might seem unsustainable, when the front three are of that quality, when you've got someone like Richarlison coming in, you can pro it's probably safe to expect that, you know, like last night was a classic example. They hadn't really done anything, but they broke. And as soon as that front three were herring towards the West Ham goal, even from deep in their own half, you thought something could well happen here. Uh, and sure enough, they scored. So I don't know. I don't know how, how minded Conte really is to change the system, especially as I put no. it to him after... It was, it was before the Forest game, so they'd only played three games. I, I put it to him, this idea that results had been had been good, but performances hadn't been great. And he did bristle at that. I don't think he agrees with that necessarily. And games can feel very different, you know, through different eyes. And I think he would have felt in the Forest mm. game, certainly pretty secure in that. But I do think it's interesting as well what James was saying the other day about how open that Forest game was, because elements of this game felt a bit like that as well. And I do think a lot of that is just that sort of hole in midfield. It, it does have that slightly basketball feel to it. Um, can, I, can I just, to, to, for a very brief moment here, can I just talk about, and this is widening it out, I want to get back to the actual game and say moral courage, because I think Antonio Conte thinks it's very brave to do the suffering around the edge of your own penalty area and then break out. Listen, the... the the two best teams in Europe do these things very, very differently. I'd say Real Madrid, because they're the champions of Europe, they play this ludicrous deep block as well because they don't have the legs in midfield. 
Liverpool and Manchester City play a very high line. And to me, what Conte would say that was risky, playing that enormous high line. Um, and, you know, Liverpool have got away with having non-creative midfielders in the last several years because their fullbacks are mm-hmm. so creative. And that's you know a, ver- a variant of what Spurs are doing. But I think it takes just as much courage to play high and try and dominate the opposition as it does to fall back. I mean, Spurs were awful coming out last night. And I'm, I do sound like I'm, I'm being overly critical, but they were dreadful. They couldn't get out of their own penalty area. But he's, um, go on. But he's, Conte isn't going to change and suddenly start being a possession, a possession football guy. Like he's just not like that's you know no no I know that I know uh, that. and even even and even even the improvements that we're talking about as in how can Tottenham get better than they are now maybe with Romero in or Longley or a better right wing back or Basuma this to me that that would just make them a team which was better at better at executing this plan better at kind of efficient efficient possession rather than dominating possession Spurs you know Spurs are just under Conte they're not going to be a possession team yesterday they had more possession than they wanted they had more possession than West Ham the game was played on West Ham's terms and it went kind of badly for Spurs well let me let me use another word other than possession dynamism and towards the end of last season they were dynamic even with this system they were you know in the end I don't care how you play I don't care what it's called. I don't care how it's dressed up. I judge. I judge it, uh, you know, by a really. It's, it's it's probably a relative of expected goals. How many shots at goal do you have in the course of the game? And I know people will say, well, if you only have, you only need one to win the game. Yeah, but you're much more likely to win it if you have twenty. And I suppose they, they, they were lucky. They didn't have twenty crosses of their own of, of their own halfway line. At times, they looked like they could never get out of their own half. I found it very frustrating. Get, getting out of the own half, I do think that's where Romero and Sanchez is such a drop off because I thought he, um, yeah. yeah, he he struggled um, last night. Sanchez, you know, I think once he'd, he'd broken that record for all the Beatles studio output, yeah. and it, it went to his head a bit. He got complacent. <laughs> he had nothing left. To, he had nothing left to motivate him anymore. I thought I thought about the Beatles when he was doing what he was doing last night. Between what we did on Monday and today, it's been announced that for reasons that no one can ever explain to me other than commerce, uh, that uh, their legendary producer's son, Giles Martin, is going to remix Revolver this autumn, right? And in fact, Davidson Sanchez is the remix of Revolver <laughs> when he replaces... Uh, <laughs> you can't... Re- C- Cootie is just... He is Revolver and Davidson is some kind of messed up um, remix of it done by, by Giles Martin, bless him. <laughs> the bootleg version. Um, I did also think yeah. <laughs> it, it would have been the most incredible thing if Sanchez had responded to um, losing that streak by scoring a bicycle kick about 15 oh. minutes later. <laughs> what a response for, for a split yeah. Also, because it was one at the ground, you know, it hits the net. And so for a split second, you do think, no way. Is oh, that yeah, if you're in? on the far side yeah. of that camera shot, yeah, it looks like and it's you're in, miles it? away at Stratford. So... Um, but yeah, he struggled. I mean, and Romero is a huge upgrade in that regard. And they they couldn't play out. Yeah, so many. If you watch, just go back and watch the clips of Spurs' best goals from the second half of last season under Conte. They all start with Romero. They start with Luis rolling the ball to Romero. And then Romero gets things going. Whereas, clearly, teams are wise to the fact that Sanchez can't do that. Like yesterday, it seemed, I mean, I'd be interested to hear Charlie's take on this. But it seemed to me watching on TV that in the first half, West Ham were a bit happier to just to let Sanchez have the ball. knowing you couldn't do anything with it. The second half, West Ham looked a bit more aggressive. And they were really getting around Sanchez. And Sanchez isn't technically good enough to get out of that. I also think Lloris isn't technically good enough to, to do this quite. sometimes. They were closing down Lloris as well. Lloris does, like, you know, uh, this is... 
you know, we're obviously huge admirers of Lloris, but l- last night I thought Lloris looked a bit like David De Gea. Like a very good shot stopper who's asked to play possess- uh, playing out from the back style that he just that isn't his strength. And He's not comfortable with it. That, that, that is he looked fact, really yeah. rattled last night by West Ham's pressure. And to be honest, you know, they, were, they easily could have conceded uh, again in the second half from screwing up one of those playing out moments. Yeah, well, because they, they, the goal came from Lloris putting a clearance straight out and then there was yeah. another hairy moment where he passed it Bowen intercepted it then Perisic got it and then he played a loose pass and Bowen nearly scored himself I should say generally Lloris has been pretty good at doing that and it was interesting looking at the numbers he's been playing short way more uh, the last season under Conte than he had been doing and I think totally it's impressive to him that he has adapted without it being this sort of psychodrama in the way that David De Gea was because last season other than they conceded one at Wolves against Wolves at home that was him not really playing out properly but um, generally he's been good but yeah last night for sure I mean you look him uh, Sanchez and we talked about that Sanchez Roy, uh, uh, Emerson Royale sort of axis of doom on the right and generally it's sort of been okay but it has been found out in games before and it was found out again last night which is always the fear when a substitute player comes in they might be able to do it for two or three games but you don't want it much longer than that and obviously I think Spurs fans are counting down the minutes until Romero comes back, hopefully against Fulham on the weekend. But this is another bit of a structural problem, really, is that they've they've built a system which is incredibly dependent on one brilliant player. And, you know, fair enough, if you have a brilliant player, you're going to build around him. But that brilliant player, Romero, is someone who gets injured and, you know, will probably pick we'll up suspensions too. too yeah. Like si- Since the start of last season, Romero started 23 league games and Sanchez has started 20. So half, almost half the time, you're having to play a guy who can't do the job which the system depends upon, mm. and that's okay. why. And, and that, but the, that is dependent then on the manager adapting and adopting different thoughts to how they're going to play. That's why I think they should play Longley, and that's why I think they probably. That's why I, I, I anticipate Longley coming into the team pretty soon, and maybe even staying there. But but also, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You 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 sort of bring in players who are better equipped to do that. And, you know, that might mean you move Dyer to right centre-back, Longley comes in as the middle one and Davis plays on the left whilst Romero is out as a better facsimile for the system when when uh, Romero is there because Jack's right. They are so reliant. And it is telling because when I said about missing a player, obviously in my head I was thinking missing in an attacking sense. But I guess yeah. Jack's right that, you know, Romero is, you know, we, we see how important he is in that attacking sense. You know, we, t- we tend to think of attacking players as the number 10s, the strikers, but Romero is critical. You've got to re- replace Romero in the aggregate. That sounds like a cement manufacturer that's there. What they, Thank that, you. Danny, that, uh, that's what they say in Moneyball. Okay, right. Explain let it, me, Jack. Let me, let, As in, so well, basically, the idea is, if you if you're losing, you'll regret a, that, Charlie. If, you, you know, if a team <laughs> loses a player, if a team loses a player, you don't just get like a straight swap for that player. No, you break down. Here are the things that this guy does, and now we need all those bits of his game to be replaced, maybe by a different jumble of players rather than just one guy. So, if you lose Romero from the team. You need to replace both the really aggressive centre backing, which he's amazing at, and you also need need to replace the, the capacity to start attacks. So Dortmund, that's why you, Dortmund are scoring more goals without Haaland than they did with yeah. so far. This so that's season. why you can't yeah. just put in Sanchez yeah. because the no. rest of the thing just collapses. Uh, okay, let me change the subject second here. We can come back to the, the game over and over again. I wanted to talk about the VAR decision, but not the obvious thing about the VAR decision because you'll either say. What was his arm doing up there? He bounced off his off his head six times. It's a penalty. Or you'll say 
Those are the rules now, and we screamed for them to be changed when Andy Carroll headed the ball against the back of Eric Dyer's hand all those months ago. Eventually, VAR got the right decision. What I was interested in was how a decision that takes four and a half minutes to make and goes for the home team profoundly changed the atmosphere in the stadium. The morale, Spurs had started pretty comfortably, had got the penalty um, when... It was, it was the equivalent, Charlie, of Spurs missing the penalty. Mm. Once they weren't awarded it, the, the momentum of the game changed and the morale of the West Ham fans was absolutely transformed. David Moyes said as much after the game. He said that it was, he felt that was a turning point. Although, I mean, that said, Spurs did then score not long after. But yeah, it did give everyone a lift. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, debating individual decisions is fairly tedious. Uh, I mean, it was interesting. Conte absolutely went for VAR after and said it basically should be abolished. Uh, and this, I mean, I agree with him for slightly different reasons. I mean, I, I, I think the, yeah, the, the far more interesting thing for me with VAR, and I was tweeting about this the other day, is that it kills the match-going experience to, to the extent that it does. You, 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 yeah. you can't celebrate goals like you used to be able to. And celebrating goals is to my mind probably the single best thing about football that feeling of yep. absolute ecstasy and you get that on, honestly and this is not an exaggeration especially pe- pe- people underestimate this massively because especially if you sit behind the goal or something you have no idea what has gone on in the build up no idea so you can or there's always that element and football fans are paranoid by nature they're fatalistic nutcases me very much included so every goal you're not really sure about. And there are so many goals, especially, you know, scrappy ones. You just can't celebrate them. Uh, but you're just terrified that your joy is going to be taken away. And especially in an era where the gap between the, the, the best teams and the less teams is so big. Let's say you go away to City. You're, you're a fan of Aston Villa. You know you're going to mm-hmm. get beaten. But you go because there might be one moment, just a moment where you score and you can totally lose yourself. You can't even really do that now. And I just think it's such a shame. Um, and then you have this additional issue that Conte's talking about of, um, you know, he, he, that's the thing. You make this massive trade off. You lose the single best thing in football and you don't even get a massive advantage. You get, first of all, there's no such thing as like an objective truth anyway. But even if there is, you go from a system that was probably, what, 90 odd percent effective to now being... 94%, you know, maybe it's moved up a few percentage points, if you can yeah, even it's, quantify that. It's a baby bathwater situation, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The price, isn't worth, the price isn't worth the prize. Absolutely like, not. That, fi- Absolutely that 5% not. margin of accuracy is not worth the damage it's done to the subjective experience of football fans, both, you know, largely in the stadium, but also on TV. And I think I think that the idea that, that losing all that we have lost is worth going from 90 to 95%, I just think it's not for me. And, you know, I was one of the people who banged on the table for 10 years asking for help for the referees. I have to admit, I was completely wrong. I did not me know too. What, a bish me too, yeah. go- I, I what a bish they were going to make of it. And then you've got the, which is why I think, since we're on this hobby horse, because you can't celebrate the goals anymore, fans are celebrating the victory when it finally gets the 97th or 8th minute one is. And then you get... The fun police, the celebration police, saying you're over celebrating. What else can we celebrate? Well, the, you Danny, can't celebrate the goals. Where are we going exactly. to actually throw our arms in the air? I made that exact point on Twitter the other day, saying that uh, uh, no amongst, one saw that. To yeah, be fair, Charlie, never mind. <laughs> in amongst the ridiculousness <laughs> of the celebration police, I do think there is a serious point in there that we can't celebrate goals anymore, full time. And as I realised, there was that game, that Brighton United game, where even full time was you weren't safe to celebrate because they then pulled it back and there was a late 
game-changing penalty. But generally, yes, yeah. that is the only moment now. And I do, I do think that might explain why victories are celebrated with such gusto. Because like, you can't take this away from us like you can every goal. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the Brighton example made me think, what's going to happen? Do we literally have to sneak out of the ground, go to the chip shop on the way home, get home, check the results on CFAX, and then you're allowed to throw your arms in the air and ex- 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 exhale a massive sigh of relief and a roar of triumph. It's nuts. It We've goes gone to the- like a, a board, yeah, like Cass or something. They're checking out the result and then you'll, you'll get the results in two to three weeks. The the profound moment for the formation of the Premier League, etc., Italian 19, all the rest of it, was when people realised, and I mean powerful people with money and television contracts, that football was part of the entertainment industry. Not lip service to it, but actually part of it. And now VAR has pulled us back from that from that line. And the problem with that is something else will fill that vacuum if they aren't very, very careful. The next game, right, and that's enough moaning from me about the performance against West Ham. And I know that any point got away from home in the Premier League has to be, as I always say, dragged out of the cold, hard ground. Um, Especially for a team who don't to- draw very often. Sure. They're quite draw sure. shy. And if you can't win, you know, make sure you draw. I, I get all that. So... Home to Fulham. Let's try and be uh, more optimistic. Um, three o'clock kickoff on Saturday for those for the uh, traditionists among you. Um, now, incidentally, that was the first West Ham game that wasn't on a Sunday for some home game for an enormous length of time. That was that was incredible as well. Will he will he make changes? I mean, he's obviously demanded. He has all these players. Um, didn't use them last night. Um, Will they make changes for the Fulham game, Jack? I think he's got to, yeah. Like he was saying in the press conference he did a few days ago, we were talking about this and I you know, I asked him about rotation. He said he had to start the season with the established players and then eventually, um, or as he put it, the old players and then you know, in time the new guys will be able to come in. But I just, th- I mean, clearly the current 11, which is has played almost, he's barely made any changes so far this season apart from, the, the I think the only unforced change has been the uh, switching Cessna on for Perisic. Mm. Um, he's got to, like, he's got to change the bat three, I think. I think he's, I'd love to see either Doherty or Spence, if ready, in at right wing back. Um, and then possibly, ha- possibly Richarlison. What do, you, what do you mean if ready? Are they physically fit? Well, yeah. I mean, Spence obviously came on in the Forest game. I don't believe yeah. we've seen a minute, one minute of Matt Doherty so far. No, I don't think we have, have we? No. Did he? Not? Um, I can't Did he come against Southampton. I feel like he might have done in like the they brought on four subs in like the eighty seventh, eighty sixth. Oh yeah, they did make a lot of subs, including Basuma. But they they've got to change things because the current setup clearly isn't working. And they've got yeah, they can't get in a situation where they're going to you know they're going to Man City for example on the tenth of September and they're playing as badly as this. Although they did, they, they did beat City on the back of three straight Premier League defeats last yeah, season, yeah. so so maybe they'll maybe have they them right where they out want the bag them again. again. Oh no, that's why the that's why the game is great. That's why we watch it. That's why we are professional mugs because we speculate about what might happen, and that is a, a mugs game. I mean, he did he did say yesterday after the game uh, that he would uh, that he would make changes. I'm just really curious though to see that because. Someone can check these numbers, but he has not made many changes for a game in a long, long time. I mean, pretty much since the cl- the closure of the January transfer window, it's been very settled. You know, one, maybe two at most when he's had to. So this would be very unusual for him to make sort of three or four. Um, and I just wonder if he will, but he, he does, like Jack says he does have to. You can't. And also they're not in a position, 
you know, in the previous couple of seasons, Spurs have been playing Europa League and Conference League. So at least that's given, obviously you don't want to be in those competitions, but it does give the manager a little bit of an opportunity to take a breath and say, okay, well, Clermont Longley, etc. You know, these guys who haven't had any minutes, you can get some minutes. These guys are so short of minutes, but when do they get them? Because the Premier League now is so ferociously competitive. It does have to be Fulham, but I guess you're also thinking, you know, using Longley as an example, Mitrovic and the kind of form he's in is a bit of a baptism of fire. I so want Romero to be back to have that yeah. contest. That would be amazing, Romero and, uh, and Mitrovic. But also the substitutes. You know, I wrote about this in my piece from the game yesterday. He waited until the 76th minute, made one change out of the five. And bearing in mind last season, two of his favourite topics that he returned to again and again, pretty much weekly, sometimes more than that, were the lack of options he had off the bench and the fact that next season with five subs, that wasn't going to cut it anymore. Well, now we have the five subs. We've had a summer where seven players have come in. Obviously, one of them has been loaned away. But so six, the squad has been bolstered. He has a better squad. So it's just curious that he's not really using that, especially with such a glut of games and this week especially constricted because you've got Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, which he was complaining about after the Forest game. So... Yeah, odd. Um, and oh, and I, even then, I think he's got on his smartwatch. He probably gets a message that says 60 million. Your cheers, Daniel, before he remembers to put Richarlison on for the last 15 <laughs> minutes. And the, pro- the problem with Richarlison is that the obvious replacement would there will be Son. And no, people are going mad about Son's form. He's always been a slightly streaky player, not, last season notwithstanding. Um, and you know that if you leave him out there, he will get back into form. Um, and I wouldn't want to be dropping him. But at the moment, nothing about his performances suggests you should keep picking him. Let's be truthful about I'm biting a bullet here, lads. Charlie, was I right in thinking I saw it didn't come through on the TV at all, but I saw somebody tweet saying that when Kulisewski got hooked instead of Son for Richarlison, there were boos from the away end. I didn't pick up on that, Just I have to say. But that's, they may well have been, but... Couldn't hit from where we are. We're fairly far. But I mean, I know just anecdotally, most Spurs fans I'm talking to would would feel that sentiment. I mean, whether they would go yeah. as far as booing, but I, I know very few Spurs fans who are saying, no, let's, let's keep Son. I mean, the main reason for keeping Son is that he can be streaky. And so if he goes five games without a goal, you're thinking, well, he'll probably get a couple on the weekend. But that's not the most sort of rational or scientific yeah. uh, way of, of, of picking a team. Well, he, 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 I don't want to say got away with it because he's a brilliant, brilliant player. He, we endured his streaky um, spells in the past because there wasn't an alternative. The problem with having an alternative is it brings an even greater focus um, on, your, on your own performances, doesn't it? Um, I have to say be- I'm quite kind of pessimistic about the Fulham game. Um, oh, no, so, uh, I, going in, at the start of this week, I thought that Spurs would actually have a harder time against Fulham than against West Ham just because West Ham were playing quite badly. And I've been really impressed with Fulham so far. I think that they'll be, you know, they're really, really well organised out the ball. They've got a brilliant number, you know, probably a better number nine than West Ham do at the moment in Mitrovic, who's been fantastic so far this season. They've got lots of, you know, busy, high-energy players. Um, you know, Cabano's been good. The guy they spine from Sporting has been fantastic in the middle of the pitch. Uh, Pereira's been good, who they got from Man United. So I just think, I don't know, I just feel like they're the kind of team who will be able to put aggressive pressure on Tottenham if Tottenham is struggling to play out I think they'll be able to hold their shape well enough to stop Tottenham from from counter-attacking them that well um, so yeah I kind of this is why I think he has to change it because I do have quite a bad vibe about this one 
you've triggered me there. Actually, you've used a, a phrase that I wish I, I, I used earlier on. High energy. Fulham are high energy. They are, yeah, they Spur, really are. Spurs, what they looked like yesterday, I mean, was low energy. Like the battery like was flashing on the side of the, of the team. Um, and I wonder whether they use up so much of their actual physical and psychological energy keeping in a 35-yard block up and down the pitch. Um, instead of some teams use their energy sprinting to press the opponents, Spurs have to use their energy dropping back. You watch Kane... They're not Olympic sprints, but they're, they're, they all, are 70 yards jogs up and down the pitch the whole day. All good teams are really organised without the ball, though. Like, they all, oh, yeah. you know, a, 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 any good team will pay a lot of attention to X metres between him and him, X metres totally. between him and him. But it's where you choose to set up camp, isn't it? That yeah. changes the energy use. I mean, that game is really important just because it would completely change the complexion of things. Because if they, if they win that game... And even and you know ideally convincingly, then that's a good that's that's a really good start to the season. Fourteen points yep, from I six agree. games um, would be great. And I think if they were to win that game reasonably well, a lot of this would be forgotten, and you would just be focusing on the league table, which would be looking really nice. Charlie, no, no, no let me correct you slightly. If they win the game, is important. If they play well and win the game, yeah, things will be different. Yes, I think if they were to sort of scrape a one nil unconvincingly then that wouldn't then there'd still be a lot of the concerns yeah they I think still, if they, they still had the points I'll grant, I'll grant you that but people like me are still be looking at it through a jeweler's eyepiece and going not playing very well are they um, well, Charlie we, you might want to um, leave the podcast now because we're going on to the tedious matter of transfers in a few <laughs> seconds time um, although I, we'll, we will talk about some other things as well including 10 years of Hugo Lloris, marked last night by one of his more eccentric performances. <laughs> Let's be absolutely frank. You're all listening to The View from the Lane, uh, the Spurs podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, as you've been hearing, uh, Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitbrook. Back in a sec. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish, and French counterparts combined, and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts, and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. It's a view from the lane. Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eckershare are with me, Danny Kelly. And we have fi- finally put down... I've thrown off the grief cloak I was wearing after the result, uh, the performance, really, against West Ham. The result, of course, uh, at the end of the season will look perfectly normal and acceptable, I presume. Um, uh, let's be absolutely frank with you, uh, the listeners and the subscribers and the downloaders and the freeloaders, uh, boozers, losers, and jacuzzi users among you, um, that we're doing this about 12 hours before the transfer window shuts. So some of this is liable to make us seem a bit dim. Um, guys, it's clear that Spurs are trying to get in one more wide player um, who might be converted into a wing back. And working down the list of likelihood, I guess it goes Carrasco, Ziyech, Traore, the boy at Leeds, I suppose, is the, is the other one. Um, one more transfer, one wide player. Is that the deal today? Go on, Charlie. Tell me that there's going to be four deals done at the last minute. Yeah, just trying to get Neymar over the line. Um, no, I mean that. Yeah, that's the idea that they move Hill out and then get in their this sixth wide forward or sixth forward. Mm -hmm. That kind of completes the squad. Conte's been saying that for a while. You know, he needs those two players in every position. But there's also talk Lucas Moura may go, but. You know, the, inf- the suggestion has always been that, again, they wouldn't do that unless they had a replacement. So unless they were to pivot away from getting rid of Hill, get rid of Moore and bring someone in. But to me, that would be a surprise because Moore just feels like a really useful squad player for them. And he, he doesn't have a massive value. He he is someone who always, you know, he's got a great attitude. He'll always give everything. And he, he, I'm sure he, I'm sure he'd like to play more, but he's got he must have got pretty used to being that sort of 12th, 13th man. Um, so yeah, that that's it's, it's whether they can find this replacement. If they find the replacement, they can move Hill on because Valencia are there, sort of wet, waiting and ready to sign. Jack, let me ask. Dan James is the one that's causing Spurs fans to lose their minds on on Twitter. Um, a, a good player when he was in Wales, a bit part player at Manchester United, very important to the Welsh national team where his speed opens up spaces for Bale to do some of the things that he does. Um, hasn't been necessarily a huge success at Leeds, but obviously somebody, Conte, Peretici, both of them, see something in him. Yeah, clearly. I wonder, I'm not really sure what that would be apart from his pace. Like he's obviously very quick. I don't think he's an especially accomplished player. Uh, I don't think... I don't really think... I don't look at the Tottenham squad and think they need another quick wide player. I think they need... Personally, I think they could do with, well, a creative central midfielder, I think. Someone who can, you know, get things going in the middle if they want to switch to a 3-5-2. Like, basically a sort of lower-grade James Madison. I think they could also do with, like, a specialist right wing-back. I know there's not many of them about. 
but they could one with that one of them would be nice. So I don't really I, I I don't really see the case for buying someone like James. Like so, it's it has been suggested. I, certainly, they have thought and looked at the possibility of signing Wilfred Zaha. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. Easy for me to say now at eleven forty eight on deadline day. I don't think Zaha's going to happen. But I think at least like Zaha is, you know, that makes some sense because yeah, he's, he's it's, it's an like weird footballer. in the sense that he's quite yeah. old and Tottenham have tried to sign him many times in the past, and I don't really know how he'd fit in. But it's very obvious that he's good and what he's good at. Because Dan James, I just don't. The case for signing Dan James doesn't really strike me as being especially strong. I think James James is more malleable and would less upset the sort of equilibrium of the squad. I get that, yeah. I mean, Zaha, and, and you know, you could say that's sort of cowardly not to go for Zaha, but I think he would come and expect to play a lot because he's a superb footballer. Uh, and I don't think there'll be those, those kind of minutes available. The amount of minutes available makes more sense for someone like Dan James. And I think Dan James is a, you know, to me the sense I always have with him is he is uh, obviously he's very quick I think he's quite smart and I think he would be happy to suffer and submit himself to the Conte system in a way I'm not sure I don't know how happy Zaha would be coming off the bench for 10 minutes to kind of help them see out a home win against Fulham whereas that feels to me more appropriate for the stage that Dan James is at given that you know it's not like he's been uh, tearing trees up at Leeds necessarily. So I can see why that makes sense. The, the tricky position they're in, this, it's not the easiest signing to make. Uh, you know, we always talked about it previously with the Harry Kane understudy. The pitch is basically, do you want to come in and be third, fourth choice? You know, I, I guess what you say is, you know, back yourself. If you play really well, you'll start games. And 60 there are, games, five yeah. substitutes. There's a huge yeah. reason. No, to, exactly. There are, there are the tons of minutes. Changed. The landscape has changed. Yeah, hasn't there, it? Are, there are tons of minutes to go around. So you'll get minutes. Uh, it might just take a little while. Though also, I wonder if some might look at Conte and how reluctant he is to rotate and be a little sceptical of that. I don't know. And obviously this season they have the Champions League. Um, I mean, the Zaha thing is, I mean, if it was the first day of the transfer window rather than the last, my question would still be the same. What on earth would possess Crystal Palace to sell him for any money? He's got one year left in his contract. Um, yep. And he's going to run it down. So may, maybe Steve Parrish would think, well, if I sell him now, if I can get, let's say, 30 plus million pounds for him now, that can go, you know, I can buy someone who can, Cody Gakpo, I can buy somebody who can come in and then play for us for the next few years before we sell him at a profit. But I'm, I, I'm, I might sit Mr. Parrish down and without being used as a sock puppet by my good friend Simon Jordan playing, <laughs> um, I would say, so for 30 million, you're prepared to give up the guarantee that Palace won't get relegated because that's what Zaha represents. I know, yeah. I yeah. know. And, and, and maybe that's what he'll decide. Maybe Steve Parrish will think, under no circumstances will I, will I let Zaha go. Um, I'll take the risk of losing him on free. I'm also, I'm not sure anyone would go to 30 as well. That would be quite a lot. I think, yeah. you know, you. Wang on. Uh, people are Chelsea, pay, maybe. People are prepared yeah. to pay 25 million for Aubameyang, you know. Yeah. I think Chelsea would make more sense. I actually think Arsenal would make more sense. Listen, let me ask you a question then about um, something that I think Spurs released, um, you know, cloud of confetti and uh, bunting, but has become a kind of albatross around their neck. Where are we with the famous 150 million? Um, I mean, I count. Look, there's one way of looking at it Romero, 40 million, Richarlison, 50 million. You know, I'm talking. I mean, I don't think get paid in tranches. There's 90. Um, a fullback is back in Italy. There's 20. Um, a fullback who's on the bench. There's another 20. They have spent it, I suppose. 
Um, but it, it, people were, were expecting a kind of net spend of this money. It's the problem, Charlie, that they thought they were going to get some money for Rodon, Lo Celso, and Dombele. Help me with this. Who else is out on loan? Regulon. Winks. Uh, Winks. Uh, and Regulon, and, and absolutely. They've not managed one significant transfer fee except for Bergwijn. Yeah, they're not the only ones. I mean, it is... the the, the market is completely screwed at the moment because you've got this two-tiered thing where you've got the Premier League money Mm -hmm. and basically everyone else. So if you're trying to sell... If you're trying to sell players, then you either... You you try and shift them abroad because obviously that's ideal. You don't want to be selling them to other Premier League clubs, ideally. But they don't have the money to do that. Or you try and sell them to Premier League clubs, but there's a bit of a risk there that that could bite you in the arse. And also, more to the point, a lot of Premier League clubs will look at your players who haven't cut it in the Premier League, i.e. Ndombele, and think, mm, not really sure uh, that's a he, he's a Premier League player. So se- selling players is really hard. And I don't know the extent to which they anticipated. I mean, I saw at the start of the window, though, of you know, some fans were, you know, were going through the players and talking about some of the sums that they thought they could bring in. And I just wanted to be like, it's not 2019 anymore. <laughs> You are not going to be getting, you know, twenty odd million for these players. That there just isn't that market. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Jack, do you think they they were they sort of underestimated the, the state of the market? I'd be surprised. I don't think so. I never got the I never got the impression that Tottenham were like over optimistically bullish that they could sell that they could make a hundred million on on incomings. Um, you know, like as. As Charlie was just saying, so I read earlier, like the Premier League's net spend this window is £1.3 billion. The next biggest is La Liga, who spent €55 million Euros net. Like, it's just ridiculous, the margins here. Um, but to look specifically at the case of Tottenham, so look, these sums are never perfect, but as I've got it, I think Tottenham has spent £115 million net so far this summer. That's inclu- that is including the £42.5 million pounds on Romero. Um, which is pretty good going for Tottenham. And like, yeah, you know, I'm sure some people would have wanted the whole 150 million to go on players. It's in practice Jack, probably never that it, simple. Is the issue not, as you, you I, I, I trust your maths uh, completely. It's a long time since I was near um, an abacus, but um, is, the, is the issue for Spurs fans as the transfer window has gone on is that Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal, West Ham have all gradually with the power of these Premier League um, the Premier League checkbooks that we talked about earlier, um, they've all outspent Spurs. Regardless of what the figure is, they've just outspent Spurs. Maybe it is, but I don't think it should be. You know, I, I mean, don't I mean, think... There's, there's, a, there's I don't 11, think Spurs there's 11 hours be... to go of the transfer window. I suspect well, yeah. that, Ma- that Manchester United, Chelsea, possibly Newcastle will spend more than £115 million today. I'm sure I'm, maybe they will, but my my response to Spurs fans who feel that way would be, don't stress about it so much. Um, the success of Premier League teams is, you know, it's wrapped up a lot in how good your manager is. Tottenham yep, have got sure. the third best manager, at, at, you know, third best manager in the country, but you uh, and lots of teams have spent money badly. Man United have spent 100 million on Anthony when they've already got Jadon Sancho. It doesn't make sense. It's nuts. Like Chelsea, nuts. Chelsea, I'm sure, will spend more money. Chelsea have been a complete shambles recently under Thomas Tuchel. Well, like Manchester this, United have spent 200 million every summer, basically, yeah. for the last decade. So if Spurs fans are thinking, like, Danny, I, I, maybe I'm mischaracterising Danny here, but Danny, if you if you think, or if you think that Spurs fans think, oh my God, are these other teams have outspent Tottenham. We've, we're fucked. Like, that, like that, that, 
thinking that way like is is kind of baseless i think no no uh, my 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 thing would have been if you're going to spend 115 million buy two starters but you need depth instead yeah sure but then two of the people currently the team become mm. bench players you get debt automatically I guess the issue to, to, to bring it back to what Charlie was saying earlier on the podcast one of my issues with what Tottenham have done this summer is that clearly like they have they haven't prioritised improving the first 11 as much as they have prioritised options and depth but the manager so far looks reluctant to use options and depth so they basically look like they're the same team as last season. Yeah, square, back to square one, well, you could argue. You could that, argue. And that's the debate that James and I have had because I, as, as more of an advocate of this window for Spurs, said it is about, yes, the squad's been good. And James's point, I mean, he acknowledges the squad, but he says the team hasn't been massively strengthened, which I think is interesting. But yeah, I mean, we, we saw the strength of the squad in that Chelsea game because they were able to bring on Richarlison and change it. And that, you know, that was a great advertisement for their window, I suppose. Uh, otherwise, I was saying because he's been reluctant to change, we haven't seen it. I mean, I should say as well on the, I do remember at the start of the window actually t- uh, hearing from people being told that you know Spurs were accepting that they were going to have to take losses on players in a way that you know they've been reluctant to sell before, and that has played out, hasn't it? Because you're talking about you know Lacelso and Dombele, Regulon, Winks. These are all loans, and I mean Lacelso tells you how how screwed the market is because. You loan a player out to Villarreal. He helps them get to the Champions League semi-final. Plays really, really well, and you still can't sell him. Yeah, because the money's not there. And but- even, even like, so people who defend the state of things would often say, "Ah, oh, but you know, the Premier League spending one point three billion pounds. That all that money will trickle down through the European leagues, and that will allow the European teams to." to spend money themselves but even that like in theory you might expect that to be in the true for someone like Lo Celso or Regulon who are clearly in demand players in La Liga and clearly the Premier League has you know put hundreds of millions of pounds into La Liga this summer but even then they they, they can't buy the players like if and if and if La Liga teams can't afford to buy Lo Celso and Regulon then you kind of wonder like how badly must they be how badly must they be damaged financially I mean the, the the imbalance now, and I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like um, the people from the Mediterranean area uh, suddenly arguing again for a Super League. The imbalance is such that I think there are many many clubs in Europe. Take away the Bayern Munichs and the you know the the, the really big clubs who get more now from active transfer activity from the Premier League than they do from their television deals. I mean, in Spain, that's evidently the case. They make that they rely on selling players to gullible and otherwise Premier League clubs than they do on you know gate money or or, or their television deals. Well, look it's at Leon. Extraordinary situation in, to arrive at. Leon's entire business model selling players yep. to Premier League. Pakitar, I mean, who played the other day, Bruno Guimaraes and Dombele, like it's they're the masters at it. I mean, they have had down the trousers of so many Premier League clubs in the last five years. They could open <laughs> a menswear shop, couldn't they? Because the whole the boardroom must be littered with, with, with chairman's yeah. trousers as it goes on year after year after year. Um, that's the 150 million. Let's talk about the the outgoings. Um, I wish them all the best of luck. There are particular cases. I don't think I don't think Region was anything other than a a bright ray of sunshine around the club. I was the first to say I think I don't see that he's quite got it at either end of the pitch for the Premier League. He'd probably do great in Spain. Harry Winks is the one I want to have a quick word about. Um, mostly people were okay about him. I'm, I'm not, you know I have a number of followers on on Twitter, so you're bound to get some 
And there were some people just, just being horrible about how useless he is and has been talking, of course, you can always spot them, the ones talking about freeing up wages as though that's what football is, a giant mole. Um, here's a kid who was at the club for 20 years. I don't suppose he's ever given less than 100%. And the only time he stepped out of line, and I thought he was right, was to pull up Nuno about dividing the squad into two halves like they do the British Lions with the dirt trackers in midweek. When Winks goes, something, not just that squad that got to the Champions League final, something has gone out of the club. And all I can do is wish the fellow the very, very best. I hope he has a brilliant season. Yeah, I completely agree. So I wrote something on this the other day. Uh, and I think it is... I, uh, I, I think it's the right... I think it's a good time for him to go. I think in hindsight, yep. he maybe could have gone Sampdoria last year. is a great club, by uh, the way. I think it's a really exciting opportunity for him in Italy. I think it's... I think it is a bit sad, the, the course of the last two years, just because we all remember how good he was under Pochettino. He's clearly, you know, he, he is a big Spurs fan. His dad was taking him, I think, from when he was about six, from when he started, he joined the academy. I thought he was going to be a fixture in the Tottenham team for years to come. You know, he did play, he has played 203 games at Tottenham. So it's not like he's, he hasn't left an imprint on the club at all. But I did think, given how given how good he looked at the start, I thought he would stay. I feel he's been, and, I, and also what annoys me as well is people on is people largely on the internet who say that uh, he's rubbish, which he isn't, and who also criticise him as a person, which I think is also kind of weird and unfair as well. Uh, I and mean, also they don't know him, but that's they a don't know. Yeah, issue. I mean, yeah. For, from from you know my impression, you know interviewed Winks and fair bit yes, in the past, quite, exactly. is that he's a good guy who always wanted to succeed at, at Tottenham and it's just it's a bit sad what happened in the last few years being in and but out are, of the team but aren't we talking here about you know footballers who become victims to tactical fashion Jermaine Defoe goes from being a top player to being a bit player because we stopped playing two up front Deli Ali, who we've discussed at length on the podcast in recent weeks the position he played became redundant in most football teams. And Winks has got the same issue. As teams move from three deep midfielders to two, he perhaps lacked the, the sheer running power required to play that position, but didn't make him a bad bloke or a bad footballer. Things changed around him. Yeah, it's really weird. I always found that really weird, you know, from someone who doesn't support the club. I found it really odd that you had this homegrown player who seemed to be giving his all every week. And and, and normally, because normally there's such a grace given to homegrown players. It just seemed odd that people seemed to... You know, and, and this happens at every club up and down the country. Players become easy targets for whatever reason and people jump on it. And Wink seemed to really wind people up for some reason. No, it's subjective. People have different feelings towards different players. Uh, yeah, I, I always... Never quite understood that, and, and and I've always I've always liked Winks. I, I I do think there's something as well. Just been thinking about this. Um, like when you have a manager like Pochettino, you can all. <laughs> he was almost like he he almost had like a magic. I mean, obviously, as mm. was sung about. But when he went, I think there have been so many players who he was the club was so much about him it was so in his image and so many of those players all they knew was him and they owed so much of how good they were to him like we underestimate coaching so much it does my head in when and i get it recruitment is important of course it is but when people talk about you know the guys and how you know these genius talent spotters yes that's true but so much of it is having a Jurgen Klopp or a Maurizio Pochettino oh, they make look, look, players you know, who other Ars managers can't Arsenal Arsenal didn't 
it took them years to recover from the departure of Wenger. Manchester United is obvious. Even Manchester City, with their resources, will struggle when whenever the, the current manager... And by struggle, I mean they won't be as magical as they are now. Um, although Haaland may still be scoring 70 goals a season, let's be truthful. Um, when Pep decides he, he needs a new challenge for another holiday in New York. Spurs are very lucky in that way. Um, to have Conte, a completely different manager, but at least they've managed to get to, after a very circuitous route, another really good manager. Yeah. Also, I think Wink's like, I think he, you know, he's built to play for a team that dominates the ball. You know, he's a, play, he's a player who helps you to keep possession and who can cut through the opposition with his passing range. Tottenham have appointed three, like, unpossession managers in a row, for want of a better phrase, in Jose, Nuno and Conte, none of whom really want someone who focuses on this. I do, th- you know, I think it's fair to say that... Winks never really matched the kind of off the ball. He's off off the ball. He's not as good as Hoiberg. He's not as good as Benton Co. He's probably not as good as Skip. And that's really what I think that's hurt him a bit. I have to say, at the start of his career, I did think he would be really good off the ball. Like he had so, he had amazing energy. You know, even for England as well. You know, uh, he would often play in a more advanced role where he could press the opposition. I wonder whether you know injuries might have played a part in this. I don't know. But I uh, and yeah, may- I maybe it will be that going to Italy will allow him to maybe perhaps have a bit more time on the ball to, to, exactly. to pick his passes. And, and, and you know he's an absolutely um, paradigm product of the John McDermott, the great John exactly, McDermott's exactly. years at Spurs. One touch to control it, look up for someone in the same coloured shirt who's forward of you, and get the ball to them. That's not what they do currently. I mean, if I might return to an early theme the messing around with the ball, even when we had it against West Ham, where it would go from the edge of West Ham's box back to the edge of Spurs' box um, in three passes as some kind of game management thing. Oh, I was absolutely... I was I was going to say I was chewing the carpet, but uh, that's already been chewed through because of previous managers. Let's end on a positive, even though, as I say, um, he had a, one of his less uh, enchanting games yesterday. Um, Hugo Lloris has been at Spurs for 10 years exactly. Um, I think I, I, I waxed lyrical about him on a previous podcast, but that's okay. Um, uh, repetition is the, is the soul of comedy, as we know. Um, uh, my simple tribute to Lloris is that clubs go through so much drama about goalkeeping. For a club to have a goalkeeper for 10 years, and you never really have to worry about the custodian, as people used to say. I can't pay him any higher compliment than that. I also very much enjoyed, um, I don't care what anyone says, watching a Spurs player holding the World Cup above their head as captain. I don't know what they would have done without him. I think he's been, along with, after Kane, the most important player at the club for the last decade. Yeah, well, I wrote a piece uh, celebrating 10 years yesterday and made that exact point. You look at the psychodramas that surround... I, I was thinking about every one of the other big six, in inverted commas, has had this. You know, United had... with De, During the period that Lloris has been at Spurs, De Gea, you know, first of all, is he too modern for the Premier League? Now it's always not modern enough for the Premier League. You know, they, they've had these issues. Liverpool obviously had the Loris Carrius, Simon Mignolet era. Arsenal had... Petr Cech trying to play out from the back. Chesney smoking a cigarette in the shower. City had Claudio Bravo's save drought. I mean, it's been it's been nuts. Chelsea had Kepa coming in and he... World you know, record he, fee. It's a world that. record fee. And then he was subbed on or he wasn't subbed on for the League Cup final. I mean, absolute madness. As you say, to not have to worry about your keeper is such a gift. It really is. And to have him as well, who is this... 
you know, a really well thought of, well respected captain as well. Um, just an amazing signing. And well, to, and to address the balance, Leon didn't get one over on an English no. club on that occasion. In fact, yeah. they had their pants pulled down. I think they were really annoyed about their that. Their owner, Alres, is looking for the trousers. So where's exactly. his trousers? I'm sure I had those. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, no, th- so uh, yeah, thank you, Hugo. And there are there are there are um, very few advantages to uh, to get getting uh, older, but uh, at least I can look back and I can say with certainty that in the post-war era, Spurs have had two genuinely great goalkeepers. I was lucky enough to watch Pat Jennings at his peak, who was. I thought untouchable, but in the modern era, you know, since we go Premier League, there's no one to touch Lloris. He's just been a fantastic, fantastic goalkeeper. Can and, you compare uh, Lloris and Jennings? Um, yes, because they were both brilliant at shot stopping. The, the goalkeeping art has changed completely. If you remember, um, other than shot stopping, Pat's only job then was to boot the ball up the pitch. Now, yeah. he was brilliant at that as well. He had a, a, an enormous kick on him which allowed um, people like Martin Chivers and Alan Gilzean to get their head onto things. But the game has changed so much. Jennings would never have come rushing out. Um, the game as well has changed because of the ball and what's expected. Jennings is extraordinary skill at catching a football high, yeah. high, high in the air. Partially, um, of course, developed by his early days as a Gaelic football of player, course, but that, yeah. is, that is the game. Um, whereas Lloris um, will come and try and punch the thing. So the only where the comparison really stands up is is that the defenders could go to bed at night and sleep their eight hours sleep knowing that there may be a lot of problems with the team, but it won't be behind me. It'll be in front of me. And would you have Ray Clements in third? Yes, I think I would. Yeah, uh, it is fair to say that both Paul Robinson and Neil Sullivan had at least one great season. Sullivan had a season where he was virtually unbeatable. Um, and Paul Robinson had a couple of seasons, but their, the longevity of Jennings and 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 Lloris in a Spurs goal, and Ray Clements was a really good goalkeeper who Spurs, for whatever mysterious circumstances, lucked into getting. Um, largely blessed, I would say, in that department. And then you have the sight of Ian Walker having conceded six or seven. Was it at Newcastle? In turning Newcastle, to the Spurs yeah. fans and laughing. Um, I mean, <laughs> we've had some funny ones as well over the years. And there'll be people of vintage remembering Barry Danes, who took over from Pat Jennings. Not a bad goalkeeper, but I'm afraid the drop-up was really, really frightening. And that's the next question for Spurs. You know, Lloris is at his peak, I would say, perhaps, uh, perhaps heading away from his peak. Who next and what next? We'll be very lucky to get someone as good as him. Mercy, Ugo, mercy. Um, and that takes us to the end of today's podcast. Um Apologies if Spurs sign um, Mbappe in the course of the next 12 hours, in which case we'll do an emergency podcast. Um, But in case that's not already enough stuff for you, um, you should become an Athletic subscriber. Uh, Remember, you can sign up to read all of the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as everything else on the site, which is a mountain. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for £1 a month for six months. Huge bargain. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to Charlie. Thanks for you for listening. We'll be back on Monday when no doubt there'll be much else to discuss. But Charlie's put his hand up like he's in school. No, sorry, I forgot. I should have mentioned this before. Would it be possible to mention my book that's out today, Dan? I think I think it would be remiss of us not to. But if nothing else, we're that- a commercial operation. Charlie's got a new book out and it looks great. 
Thank you very about, much. Tell us about it, Charlie, but <laughs> briefly. <laughs> I'll be very brief. Yeah, I've got a book out today uh, titled The Beautiful Poetry of Football Commentary. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, which is, yeah, it, it's kind of uh, like a mock poetry book where you've got the poems, in inverted commas, the excerpts of commentary with my sort of close textual analysis uh, with all the greats, you know, your Drury's, your Tyler's, uh, etc. But yeah, a lot of fun to do and hopefully a fun pre-Christmas read. Jack, I see you've got some bookshelves behind you. You wouldn't give it house room, would you? Uh, I don't get to choose which books we have uh, in the front room. Uh, so my, my but Maria loves football commentary. My study is all the books that my wife doesn't want in the front room. Oh, and Charlie, behind you, you see that cabinet. That's actually our poetry Oof. books. And you, over, ah, the next few weeks, over the next few weeks, you'll be able to look to see if the green spine of your book mm. makes an appearance. And since we're doing this kind of stuff, um, quick update on the 1991 FA Cup final deck chair. Uh, regular listeners will know I bought a deck chair when Spurs won the FA Cup. It's faded from navy blue to royal blue. The other day, and I'll put a picture of this up on Twitter today, um, my sister-in-law, who's not a large woman, sat in it and fell through it. It's split in 100 directions. No. Just too old. Um, I'll show you I'll show you the tatters of the deck chair uh, in, uh, on, on Twitter later today. Once again, thank you all for listening. At least have a look at Charlie's book. It, to me, it looks brilliant. It looks like a favourite poetry book. It's fantastic. Buy it if you can, and buy it for people you love. That's all we're saying now. We're back on Monday when much may have happened. Cheers for now. The Athletic.